When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. My name is Craig Cairns and you don't know anything about little Dominique's nosebleed. Joining me to go through the weekend's Premiership matches, expect some Simpsons references, it's Tom Watt. Yes, indeed. Thrown me. <laughs> I was going to give a Simpsons reference, but I can't think of anyone. Uh, yeah, expect some Simpsons references at a future time when I can think of one that's apt. Hello. And straight up gangster rap, it's Joel Sked. Hello, don't expect any Simpsons references from me. <laughs> or Gangster Rap. Or Gangster Rap, no, that's that's uh, certainly not in my genre or wheelhouse. Uh, just before we, uh, well, before we crack on, Craig, are we recording? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. I, I do it through the, um, the, the, the soundboard, not, not, not Zoom. Ah, okay, okay. Um, sorry, listeners, but I was just, just wanting to double-check before we cracked, uh, cracked on further. Say something incredibly controversial. <laughs> Just to test it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so we're going to go through the weekend's matches, but we're going to start with uh, some r- relatively breaking news, I suppose, is uh, this afternoon another Celtic player tested positive for coronavirus. That's not really the news. What we want to talk about is Celtic manager Neil Lennon's reaction to it all and his uh, press conference. The now mellowed Neil Lennon um, looked like he... St- did it look like he stormed out at the end of it? Did I... There's a clip online where he, he kind of he says like we haven't broken any rules. It's he, he talks about this hypocrisy and it looks like he stands up to to leave. I don't know whether that was maybe the last question or whether he stormed out. But I I, I heard a, a bit an extended version of it on BBC there just recently and it was carried in its and and you could hear how uh, I'd be the same in that position by the way. But you could hear how kind of I don't want to say the word scared, but he was kind of cowering a wee bit from from Lenning. But like I say, I would be. I would be exactly the same if that was me. But yeah, what, what did uh, we'll start with you, Tom? What did you make of that press conference? 
remarkable, just absolutely remarkable. I mean, you thought it couldn't really get worse, and you thought that that perhaps, like when 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 Peter Lowell came out and said, I mean, it wasn't quite the full and frank apology and and. Uh, mea culpa that people might have expected but at least it was a step in the right direction you expected that, that maybe that, that was you know that was the start of the end of it but oh no the new more mellow Neil turns up full air quotes full uh, you know saying things like the, the whole squ- the whole squad is fine other than the two that you know other than the two that, that test yeah I mean the, the whole of the 20th century was peaceful apart from the two world wars <laughs> it, 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 it was absolutely remarkable like he is livid throughout everyone like you know taking bodies just claiming the the, the the government are out to get them there's hypocrisy all over the place I mean saying that it wasn't for Peter Lowell to to apologise. It should have been an apology from him, but then not apologising. That's that's that, that's remarkable. What, uh, okay, it wasn't going to be an easy press conference, but he could have made it a hell of a lot easier by just going. We've we just want to move on now. Peter Lowell came out and said uh, he said sorry. We agree. Well, basically, just reiterate what Peter Lowell has said. Even Peter Lowell, Peter Lowell's apology was um, like thirty seconds of apology and four minutes of pish. And then, yet yeah, that was uh, that was brilliant compared to what Lenin then produced. And you, you just listen to Lenin and think, are you actually saying these words? I don't. It's, it's, football managers. Um, I don't know. They're not as bad as politicians. But why? Why can't people just? front up and apologise for apologise for stuff yep we've made a cut of it looking back in hindsight we um, were probably in the wrong we, we apologise we like to move on but it was just it was just bamboozling listen to him and then I just listened to a clip that I hadn't seen earlier just before we came on and he was talking about uh, he was talking about the about being an agenda against Celtic and the politics are being at play and as if he disagreed with the COVID rules and the fact that he says uh, no one at Celtic's got COVID but they've had two positive tests so from my reckoning positive tests indicate that players do have coronavirus which is uh, I, I, I'm just lost for words with, with, with what Lennon said uh, yeah, the second just, one could be not related to the Dubai trip whatsoever. We don't really know the details of the second one. I mean, it likely isn't related to the Dubai trip if it's only coming out now. I, I just think that though, I, I don't know why. I don't know why there's this defensive attitude to it. Like previously, you know, Celtic are very well known for coming out with strong statements. Like any time there's any kind of criticism of their behaviour um, or, or the, the way that they've acted. And largely it makes an awful lot of sense because it does kind of circle the wagons and their supporters largely buy into whatever the support, uh, whatever the, the party line is. The biggest critic of Celtic's attitude in the last, you know, the last three or four weeks have been Celtic fans. It's like the people who, I mean, in many ways it's not funny because there are 100,000 people that died from coronavirus in the UK because it's a killer disease and because that's the reason that we're all staying at home. But the people that are like sort of writing this off as it was kind of incredulity are, are, are fans of everyone else. The people that are angry are the Celtic supporters who have paid for games that they're never going to see, been shut out of a stadium that they're not going to go to this season, not been allowed within, within touching distance of a sta- the stadium this season. 
had some horrendous results, um, you know, asked for a change in leadership that they're not going to get. And then they've seen pictures of the, the squad flying halfway around the world enjoying themselves after a second old firm defeat of the season. The people that are angry about this are their own support. Do you owe them to front up and say, yeah, the, at least the optics were bad? You know, at least saying, yeah, maybe some of the decisions that were made would, would, be, would have been done differently. To suggest that it's like people out to get them or, or anything like that, it is baffling. Well, I, I, I don't know which crowd they're playing to this time. Yeah, yeah, you're right, because there are a few that are still kind of sticking up for them uh, through thick and thin, but um, you're right, there's like, you just don't see many Celtic fans coming out and defending, like, no matter where you look at the moment, I mean, you're limited, you, you, we don't have supporters in pubs and in stadiums and things like that, but no matter where you look at the moment, there's criticism, wherever you listen or look, there's criticism, and that goes all the way to the some of the very, very um, Celtic-minded pundits that we have as well. Andy Walker at the weekend. I mean, I'm not saying that these guys are usually biased or anything like that. Sometimes they are, yes. But, like, um, even these guys have turned on them all. And, um, and yeah, so, so you're totally right, Tom. I mean, who, who, are they, who are they actually playing to here? Have we got anything else to add on this before we, we move on to the weekend's matches? Just, just on, uh, just on the, the first thing you said about uh, Kenny Dean. It's, it's I was him it was uh, asking Neil Lennon questions. I'd be exactly say I would be be shitting myself. And, but the thing is, though, you, you couldn't diffuse it with a, a straight up. Oh, uh, how's the squad looking for Wednesday? Because that opens a whole new can of worms. Because they've all all, all been there. I've been in um, a, 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 not a similar position, but uh, Andy Halliday didn't scold me, but um, accused me of putting words in his mouth uh, once, and then I just I just I just uh, sh- um, shirked. And went into a uh, went into a cage. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And then it's just like there's one kind of wee thing that causes that, and then you've just got to get your way through the rest of it. Yeah, I, I totally felt for him there. Yeah, but anyway, we'll move on to the weekend's matches, and then the the, the we'll start with the eye popping result of Ross County four Aberdeen one. We'll come to Aberdeen uh, in a bit, but that's three in his last four for Ollie Shaw now. And um, we saw Jermaine Hilton on the score sheet as well, and also it looked like that. Regan Charles Cook caused a few problems as well. This kind of they seem to go very brave with like a front three up against the the back three of Aberdeen, and they caused them problems right from the off. Yeah, so Ross County, looking at them as a whole, it's, it's hard to analyse the start of the game with Ross County without mentioning Aberdeen because Aberdeen were a um, were abhorrent uh, to put it to put it uh, frankly. Ross County, as soon as they went, as soon as they went kind of one two, as soon as they went two and up, it was a case of that they were, I think, quite happy to have Aberdeen, little Aberdeen, have the ball, and they were breaking, breaking on them again. That that opens up with Jermaine Hilton and Reagan Charles Cook that they have that pace to get up the pitch. Holy Shaw. <sighs> I'm still not sold on him to be honest. That two fantastic goals. Are, that was that the second one in particular I really enjoyed. Just the, his body movement, the way he turned it back towards goal, and the, just the, the it was. It, I think it was very crafty what he did. But as a as a striker overall, I think he is a good finisher. But I I just just wouldn't trust him as as, as a focal point. But when you have, when you can create, as long as you can create chances and have someone like that, he's, he's, he's going to score goals. I did see over the weekend that uh, I think it was Arab Analytics put up that he's basically he didn't watch the game. He just looked at the uh, the chances, did the expected goal thing, and 
mentioned that Ross County were perhaps fortunate to win. I would not go anywhere near as, as far as that. But Ross Laidlaw had to have a very good game. As bad as Aberdeen were, they still created chances. And Ross uh, Laidlaw is probably the best game I've, I've seen him play. But overall, it was his county did look a lot more solid. And that's uh, it's quite, quite something considering they've had to make changes to their backline. So Aberdeen have had some success out of this 3-4-3 system earlier in the season. Tom, uh, he's kind of stuck with it a bit through the poor results recently but they've kind of there's been signs in the last couple of matches that when he's moved to back four they've they've improved against Rangers also after this game after going 2-0 down in this game went to a back four and they look better they created lots of chances between between then and half time it was too late yeah it, it's a it's a strange one I mean the, the game in general was a, a very strange one because like you said the, it was pretty much done after 20 minutes because of the, the, the start Aberdeen made very weird game though because it had, had it not as bad as Aberdeen were, they could easily have been four-two up. Were it not for a combination of some horrendous finishing, which is what I'm going to come, which I'll come on to, and Laidlaw had a very, very good game. Um, I the 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 biggest problem with the with the three at the back, um, with the with the personnel that are currently available, is they can't get anything like a, a functioning front line. Um, they started here with Cosgrove and Main, who. Do not work together. I mean, the, there there is no need to have that. And I mean, the, the most telling statistic from it was there were thirty one crosses into the box. The only one that ended up in the net was was probably an own goal. I mean, it's got, some people have got it as Curtis Main, but you know, thirty one crosses into the box with two guys that are target men, and you're not getting anything more out of it than than that. Um, and yes, there have been injury problems. You know, Greg Lee was out, McGeer was out, Devlin was out, Watkins is out until next month and, and back uh, back down south. But the starting lineup should be better than that. Should should start um, should be switched on because so many, so much of the the, the the goals were all the damage was so much self inflicted. Why? Why? Um, why was? Can you, uh, I don't know if uh, you you can have if there's any reasoning behind it that you can think, Tom. Why was Johnny Hayes playing on the right and Matty Kennedy playing on the left? Because you see it with first two goals, Hayes uh, so far up the pitch. And even just in, a, in attacking wise, they're cutting in. The, one of the best chances Aberdeen created was when Hayes was actually on the left hand side, despite playing on the right hand side. It was just, it just seemed to strike. Uh, it just struck me as McInnes again trying to be too smart for his own good. Yeah, I, I mean, I can only assume the thinking is you're going to get them in support of the of two main strikers rather than try like with with two guys like that. What you want to do is get high balls into the box. Especially who you know who they're up against um, uh, from Ross County. You want high balls and thoughts. They, they they didn't do that. They were cutting inside, and it, like you say, it just it does seem to be overthinking it. Because I think he's he's was up against Randall. Randall's right foot, so he's going to cut in onto Randall's stronger foot. When you play Kennedy on that side, he's just going to go down. He can just go down the outside and cross for two guys who are sometimes good in there. Yeah, I, I think that the biggest problem in the, in this was overthinking it. I, I think when they went to a system, you know, that was more like they the played last season. I, I still think that the three at the back is probably the way to go in future. But you need to have the, the you need to have a different 
set up up front. Like they, they desperately missed Hedges. Wright was the only one that was creating anything. And you can't really rely on Main and Cosgrove if you those are your two main focal points. You you do need someone that's going to run. I mean, Niall McGinn might be a waning power, but he'd probably be a, a better fit as one of your front three uh, than, than either Main or, or Cosgrove. But that result was coming. That that result was coming. The way that they've played in the last five or six games, where they've had a lot of possession, not been able to convert chances when there have been any, when there have been some, I, I, you know, I don't think I'm doing Ross County any discredit that they did give up a lot of chances. But Aberdeen don't look like they don't look like scoring when they've when they've got the ball on the edge of the box. If you can sit back and and stop them getting, um, if you can stop them working it through the middle, the crosses from from out wide aren't really causing any problems. And things do feel stale at the moment. They they do the, the positivity from from November when Hedges and Wright were flying, and the midfield looked like a solved problem. And all the all the noises were that Wright would sign a new contract. Now it looks like they'll end January weaker than they started it. Um, I, and I, there there are a lot of frustrations from the fans. So Joel, are you still not sure about Ross County in general, or is it just all the shot? Not sure about Ross County in general, to be honest. The there's obviously positive signs over the last few weeks. I was actually I was really impressed with them against Hips, uh, so there is signs that they're better organised than they were under under Kettlewell. Defensively, it was, it was funny. The, the first thing I, uh, I thought of when I seen the goals, the first two goals Aberdeen conceded was that was very Ross County s defending from from <laughs> last season and sometimes this season. He. Is getting us. I think he's getting a bit more out of Peyton. Peyton does seem like a player who I think Hughes would Hughes would like a lot. I accused Peyton of being kind of Jason Holt like when he was at Hearts, where he had all these technical qualities and he's a quite intelligent player, but he didn't put really as for an attacking midfielder. Didn't put like the numbers on the board, but he's he's scoring goals. He's he, he's creating assists now. Jermaine Hilton adds a bit more dynamism to to the team. He is someone who will have a game like that and then he'll be quiet for three or four but down at the bottom that's sometimes all you need uh, all you need the <laughs> work in progress is uh, is Ross County I think they'll, they'll probably do a bit more business but the I've seen enough of a lot of the players that play for them that I, I'm not fully trusting of them to be certain of escaping relegation. Aye, and it's still very, very tight down there. So I mean, it's like yeah. it's not like one team's cut adrift or anything like that, and they're in that position where they have to get out. I mean, it could be one of six teams or something like that at the moment. Right, we'll move on to the next game, and that was a live game from Sunday, and it was Motherwell one, Rangers one. Graham Alexander, new Motherwell manager, that's the same result in his first two matches, I think, isn't it? And quite similar in that they've they've done well in the first half and then maybe dropped off a bit in the second half. It seemed I was really surprised by how Motherwell approached this game. Uh, we'll stick with you, Joe. But I was really surprised at how Motherwell approached this game. It looked like the personnel in the formation looked like it could have been a Robinson team. I know that they've got two things that Robinson didn't have in, in the last little while, and that's a goalkeeper and a left back. But other than that, it really looked like a it really looked like a Robinson team, right down to the kind of interchanging front three. The big difference was that they were they were trying to pass out from the back, just like Rangers were. But there are two centre halves in the either side of the six yard box when they've got goal kicks and all that kind of jazz. What 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 did you think of their approach? Yeah, that 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 was that was a big thing for me, especially because Bevis McGabby is someone who, if I was setting up a team, uh, team to, depending on how you uh, 
how they, how you, you want the team to play. He's someone you either uh, have the ball, so it allows you to get organised because you know that he, when you shuffle a lot of uh, passing options, he doesn't really know what to do with it and he's ended up going to send it long. Or if you are a team who are looking to press high up the pitch, he is someone I'd be looking to uh, try and get Motherwell to funnel the ball to and then press him because I think he's very, very panicky. So that that aspect uh, that aspect of it is more surprising. The, but I think the more positive, I think the, the, the thing Motherwell fans perhaps should be even more positive was how proactive Motherwell were at trying to stop Rangers from playing from the back. Seen on, on, on Twitter when someone compared it to the previous game at Far Park between the two sides, and I think Motherwell were quite standoffish this time. They this time they weren't. They they, they stopped tried to stop Rangers from from playing it from the back and success. First half especially, I thought they were they were they were absolutely fantastic. And the goal itself really summed up how how positive they've been. It was just such a patient, well worked well worked goal. And big fan of Tony Watt's movement because like I said it's an interchange in front three so he, he, he played central the ball went left to Carroll he could have waited for a crossing or he could have went and gone went short to try and get the ball but he just took Goldson right out wide and then that left a massive uh, massive gap to then play Goldson came back in and it just, it just caused, caused confusion and th- I think that's what Alexander will want a bit more from his front three. That's what you want from a front three who are capable of interchanging, confusing the opposition uh, defence. What did you make of Motherwell, uh, Motherwell's performance, Tom? Yeah, I, I think the big difference, I mean, Graham Alexander looking very much the, like the, the deputy head of modern studies who sometimes sails a bit close to the wind on the sideline. I think it, like he, he, his, the, I think the big difference between it was they seem they seemed confident. The, the big thing I've got written under underneath is confident and 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 patient. Um, they they didn't try and force it. They 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 were they were pressing Rangers, and I think understandably Rangers have their their performance has slightly dropped off in in recent weeks from where they were. But um, Motherwell were very good at, at pressing them, like Joel says. But the, the the big thing was the patience when they had the ball. They weren't trying to force anything. I think to some extent Rangers played to their strengths quite a lot with the diagonal balls over the top. It, it, you know, diagonal balls to the back post do slightly play into Motherwell's hands when when you've got McGavey and, and, and Gallagher who were, were able to be quite dogged and sit deep and, and get those get rid of those. But I think the difference I mean it may just be the difference that when you've got a left back and a goalkeeper that you know you can rely on but there was a there seemed to be a lot more assuredness there seemed to be a lot more confidence and there seemed to be a, a, a patience to it that they would find like if you've got an interchangeable front three there's not always going to be a, there's not always going to be a killer pass to play there's not always going to be a target man to hit there's not always going to be somebody you know, you're not going to be necessarily be able to do something in in a couple of moves. So being patient and waiting for the angles to happen and waiting for somebody to pull someone out of the, that that's kind of the name of the game. That worked very well with the front three. They understood. They understandably dropped an awful lot deeper in the second half, um, and they they did have to play a little bit more with with their backs to the wall. But I think the difference between even two or three weeks ago when. I would have said they were the worst team in the league. Not maybe not in per- personnel, but in the way that they were playing and the in the confidence that they had and the confidence that you had that they might get 
pick up points in any given week. They they certainly don't look that like that anymore. And you know, I would expect them to pull away. And uh, Rangers, I mean, I don't think there's too much to say about Rangers. To be honest, I think it was just a, they just had a bit of an off day for the first forty five minutes and they could play that exact game again and still come away. I think they created enough to, to win the game, really. I think on another day they win that game, even though they go behind in it. Um, I think we have been witnessing or are in the middle of witnessing Rangers' slump. I think this is it. I, 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 I mean, I don't think they're going to... I'm not necessarily saying they're going to go the, 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 the whole league season unbeaten, but I think anybody hoping that Rangers are going to drop some points and go on a wee kind of run of not, not winning a game for two or three matches or whatever, I, I, I just don't think it's happening. I think we're watching their slump just now and they're still picking up results. Anybody disagree with that? No, I, I, I was going to say, wait till they get back into Europe, see if that has uh, an effect. But you actually look back to the start of the season when they were playing Europe, so they are playing Thursday, Friday. They just found a stride, this momentum that even though Jared make changes, they would win games and especially in Europe play really really well and then since Europe's kind of stopped that's where the stagnated kind of um, hit a level where they've they, 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 they've gone down a level not hit the level of uh, early in the season so I think I teams if- have worked them out slightly a wee bit as well I think people have, some teams have found a way to exploit the space and behind the fullbacks and to nullify them a bit more you've seen that happen in more games recently and that's just what happens if you have mm. if you you can't just have a successful formation that works forever like it gets figured out and you have to kind of adapt it and I think we're just in the process of them adapting it to be honest sorry to cut across you there no no it's, and, and yeah it's a very good point because you, you look at it the the fact that Scott Arfield's obviously been out for uh, a few weeks now Ryan Jack's been out for a few weeks so those uh, so those two that he's affected Jerrod's effective haven't played uh, Davis Aribo and Kamara each week and that gain kind of falls into the predictability. So before opposition managers weren't uh, weren't sure how the how the Rangers may feel, what the what the look up, uh, how it would look. I think that's fair, and I, I mean I think the the other factor that is probably at play is they're twenty odd points ahead. Like there's there there may be, you know, you don't have the we need to win every single week. You don't have the like they can afford to pace themselves a bit. They can. I, I don't necessarily think that was that that comes into thinking or accounts for the way that they played here because I think they they were just flat. Like they they had a lot of chances that they didn't take. Arebo was poor. Ryan Kent was running back towards his own goal a lot. Barisic, who for the first four months of the season was arguably the the standout player in the league has gone off the boil a wee bit and is, is certainly isn't producing the same a, a, a attacking threat. But I think that all of that, like partly, as you say, it's inevitable there'll be a lull and I wouldn't be surprised if they drop more points in the coming weeks, but, you know, they're, they're still they're still picking up points most weeks. But the other thing is that I, I, there isn't anyone breathing down their necks. I, yeah. I think in, in any given week, you would still bet on Celtic dropping points more than Rangers would. That, that's the, so the big thing is, is that essentially Rangers are playing without any pressure the, the, the league's done league's done and dusted and before there was there was positive pressure so they knew that they just needed to keep winning and just continue opening that gap uh, ahead of Celtic now the gap is the gap is so big that they, subconsciously they're just going to relax almost and then that doing with that kind of dropping intensity at a tempo and that's just natural 
Yeah. Celtic just no bothering playing games and stuff. Just like just increase that lead. Just go play again and just just get even further ahead of us. Give us more of a psychological gap to kind of get over to anyway. Right, let's move on to the next game. We'll go Easter Road where Hibs beat Kilmarnock 2 now. This was a pretty uneventful first 45 minutes in this one, it seemed. But um, there were a couple of debuts for Jackson Irvine and Chris Cadden. These guys seem to be, again, the right kind of sign-ins for, for, for Hibs. They, um, they are in areas where they kind of need a bit of competition and or cover. Because, I, I don't know, I feel like a lot of the time this season, I've looked at Hibs' bench and there's just been absolutely nothing on it and these guys kind of pad it out a little bit yeah they've they've going back to last season Hibs have had a, Hibs have had quite a, a a small squad that there's 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 not been a lot of options but they've had the good things that Hibs have had or uh, the managers have possessed is players who can play in a variety of positions and again that's Irvin does that to an extent. He can play in different uh, midfield positions, whereas Cadden is very much a utility man, and he's probably the one I'm more intrigued to see. Irvin is, obviously, we were a massive fan of him at the podcast when he was at uh, Ross County. We was sad to see him go. Intriguingly, that he's only signed a deal until the end of the season, so I don't know if this is kind of just uh, a play and then kind of see what happens or he's thinking just get some games on the well and then look to go back down to back down to England for Cadden he signed a two and a half year deal the the whole Oxford Columbus thing is, is a strange one because he's not really um, settled either of those now he's got a chance to settle at, at, at Hibs and I just want to see him sell in a position the <laughs> That's that, that. That's. I think that's the big thing that Cadden has, and I hope that he's when he's went in, he's talked to Jack Ross and goes, basically, I want a position that I can play in week out, get cons- week in week out, get consistency in that position, and learn and improve in that position. Because I think towards the end of his Motherwell spell, they just didn't hit the the heights of uh, previously, just because I think it was it was moved around a bit. So that that one that one's a big one for me. Do you think that position is yeah. going to be right wing back? That's where I see him playing for Hibs, at least to begin with, because like kind of Dre Wright's been played there recently. I think they're maybe looking for reasons not to play Martin Boyle there. I don't think, uh, mm. obviously, John McGinn isn't a wing back. He can play right back and he can get up and down a bit. But Paul he's McGinn. Not, uh, sorry, yeah, Paul McGinn. But he's, <laughs> but he's, not, he's not a wing back. I'm not the first or the last to make that mistake. Uh, and maybe uh, they're looking to use Boyle more just as a, like to have three strikers, three quality mm. strikers to choose from, rather than using Boyle as a more of a utility player. I don't know that that was my thinking when I saw the Cadden signing. I believe, I believe Cadden is might have came to Hibs with the thought of playing as a right back or wing back with Scotland in mind. There you go. That would make a lot of sense. Smart thinking. That would make a lot of sense. I mean, and that that's that's got to be a that's got to be an incentive for him. I mean, it, it's. There's not huge competition there, and if you're playing for your club in that wing back, in a in a wing back role, we don't have any right backs to play regularly for their club, you know, week in week out, in that kind of in a similar system to the way that it might with Scotland. So that 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 would be an interesting interesting development for them. I, I mean, I, I think they're both very good signings. I think they're both as safe signings as you can make without them being boring. Um, you know they, they've performed up here before. They're, you know, they're they're both at a good age. They've both got a lot of football left in them. They've both played at a relatively high level, to a relatively high level. Um, and I think, and I think, um, 
they do add something that Hibs don't don't have already. I mean, I I, I don't think it's. I, I think this game kind of, uh, the Irvin had a a couple of, you know, was involved in a couple of things. I don't think. I think largely the game kind of passed him by, but that's not that surprising given that he's not not played much football in the last uh, eight months, and Cadden only came on late. Um. But they both offer something that they don't have. I think, in theory, that Hibs midfield looks an awful lot more dynamic with him in it, with any other two of their central players. And, and you know, like Joel said, Irvin in this, he certainly started quite far forward, but he could easily play, you know, he could play a more holding role. He could be a box-to-box player, um, depending on, on how Hibs want to set up. So I think two, two very intriguing, very very good signings it's, it's going back to what you asked uh, Craig about the um, just sorry asked, you mentioned about Hibs having a, a small squad the, again these two play, uh, two players allow Hibs to play so many different possess, so many different systems and formations they can fit in um, they can fit in 4-3-3 they can they, these players can uh, fill in gaps um Depending on what Ross what Ross wants to wants to play, and it gives it gives Hibs so much flexibility. Again, I am slightly jealous. I would have taken both at Hearts because they are the Premiership players who are, as Tom said, used to proven at Premiership level, but they have the physicality and temperament to succeed in Scotland. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure you're getting ahead of Mikey Smith Cadden right enough, but yeah, I'd still I'd still take him. No, not as not as a right back. <laughs> um, so Kamarnik. <clears throat> Let's talk about them for a wee bit. Um, you'll notice we're not talking about much to do with this game. It was a, it was a pretty drab match for for uh, according to all reports. But um, Kilmarnock, I think I know they're they're sitting. They had a wee bit of a kind of spell recently, and they're they're sitting about mid table at the moment. But looking at all those kind of teams in the bottom half, they're one of the ones I still worry about the most. Even though they're like I say, even though they're they're kind of sitting mid table at the moment, I I just think that. The squad just seems to la- be lacking in so many key areas, and I don't know. They, they they seem to have. I'm trying to pick my words quite nicely here, but uh, they seem to be lacking a wee bit in the manager front as well. He seems to be one of the weaker managers in the in the league. Is that fair? Is that I, unfair? I, I think the the worry for the worry for Kelly is like, or or the worry for everybody does it. Should you be more worried about the teams that we know? are not very good but occasionally are picking up points because there seems to be a few of those or should you be worried about the teams that are actually playing reasonably well and have a, quite a few you know, game-changing players in it but are not picking up points and I think Kilmarnock fall into the, that category I, I think they don't they don't tend to change games they, like the, they're, if they go behind you're fairly certain that they're, they're done I, I think that they were un- they were unlucky in this game to some extent because I think I think when when Kabamba came on and Burke came on, they did look a lot more bright and you know Kabamba hit the post. He was really unlucky. Um, yeah. And there wasn't an awful lot in terms of quality between the two teams. I just think Hibs Hibs played the conditions an awful lot better. Um, you know the, the pitch wasn't in great condition. It, it there was the ball was getting stuck under players' feet an awful lot and they were struggling to keep balance a, a bit. It, it, the game was played in the air an awful lot more than either team would want and I think Hibs just adapted to that a lot better but I think my my worry for Kilmarnock is if you can't but they, they, they go to it's the same go-to players 
Um, and if they get injured or they don't turn up for a couple of weeks or, or anything like that, the, the they don't seem to be able to change the way that, a, the, you know, the, the way that a game's going, the momentum of a game. And I think that that's a concern for them. Joel, do you have anything to add on Kilmarnock before we move on? No, I think Tom hit the nail on the head about the same players. They're, they're going to the they're going to the well time and time again with with the, the the same players who have to get them out like Chris Park. They it needs freshened up at Kelly. The signings in this the, the summer don't do they haven't done that. I think obviously about you mentioned about Alex Dyer. There's a lot of reservations amongst Kelly fans about Dyer. So uh, I think. At the moment, Kelly fans would happily take consolidation and then start again. Maybe say start fresh in the in the summer uh, with with a rebuild because it is, there's a lot of players who are um, getting on in age. Um, <clears throat> but just before we move on back on the hip side, I think uh, word of praise for Gogic and especially Josh Doig who had his perhaps his best game in the hip. Yeah, shirt. he looked excellent. Yeah, uh, his Gogic goal was fantastic. Yeah, so we'll move on to the next match. The, the the last match that we're going to talk about with a goal, and that was, it was a solitary one. That's St Johnston 1, St Mirren 0. It was repeated the scoreline in this fixture earlier in the season. I think that's St Johnston still unbeaten in this year so far, isn't it? But it was their first league win since uh, since November. They got the goal through Chris Kane, who tried his best to, to miss both opportunities, I think. I think the first one, I mean, it, he's caught it quite well, but it's really close to Anik. But then the second one, the one he actually scores from, it's like he's got the whole right-hand side of the goal to shoot at, but he decides to put it in the bottom left-hand corner where Anik is, and he almost, like, <laughs> he almost fucks it up. But then... Um, uh, Elamet, no, Melamed, sorry, he was involved in the in the build up and uh they look like they they he'd scored in the Dundee United game, I think, after yeah. coming in to start and they look like they're doing okay together. But what about the sh- should the goal have stood? Was there a handball no. in the build up? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's uh Stephen McLean so I I watched it at the time I was thinking what that's that's a handball. You can see obviously Shaughnessy stops. Shaughnessy stops, looks at McLean. I know you should play the whistle, but Shaughnessy stops, looks at McLean. And then when the, the move uh, carries on, so Melmed sets up uh, Kane, Shaughnessy gets back and he just about blocks it. So that kind of, that that second or two where he stops and looks at McLean uh, affects what happens next. And then you see with Anik charging out at, at McLean. I thought, I th- um, so the rules are, if you're, if you hand if the ball hits your hand and your hand or arm is above head height or shoulder height, then it's automatically a foul. Only exception is if it hits uh, if you hit it. So if it deflects off, for example, if it hit his head and then hit his arm, I don't think that is uh, that's a foul. It didn't. It hit Shaughnessy headed onto Melamed's uh, Melamed's hand. McLean was in a perfect position. It was uh, it was a very poor decision. It is like one of those ones. I think and I think Goodwin uh, alluded to this, but. It's one of those ones that referees seem to like. They can't wait to give these ones in the box at the moment. Yeah, this one was clear mm. as day right in front of the referee, and he, he somehow missed it. It's a weird one. If if, if Shaughnessy had headed it slightly less hard, I think it would like the, <laughs> because he gets a really good head on it. Like it, it doesn't change the it doesn't change the direction of the ball. That's the only thing I could think. But like the the microphones in the um, on the on the TV coverage pick up the sound of it hitting his hand. So. Quite surprised it stood. 
But um, I mean, there's there's still a little bit to do, and yes, St Johnson could have been uh, St could have been a bit more switched on, but yeah, definitely a handball shouldn't have stood, and not the not the only decision that went against St Mirren. What Jay, are you thinking of the the red card? I am indeed. The red this, card, which I thought was, was was very harsh. Oh, this this one for me, I can see why McLean has given both yellow cards. I the, the first one, he's kind of looking sh- like straight at it where. McPherson kind of does a sweep with his with his right foot, so he kind of f- makes a tackle and follow through, uh, follows through on Melamed, and then the breakaway. I just think, I think there had to be a bit more uh, streets, uh, kind of a bit more sensibility from McPherson. He was diving in from the wrong side. He may have got a touch, but again, McLean's positioning uh, it looks bad from McLean's position. I. I... I agree with what you're saying, and I do, I think the first one was definitely a, a yellow card. You know, it, he's late, he's not in control. It, it's not like a nasty challenge, but fair enough. As a, a it's a yellow, he catches the trailing leg. The second one, I think, is is really harsh. I can see why the referee sees it not just as being late, but also stopping a breakaway. Um, and I, I, I can see why he's given it. But even you know, watch it slow that da- slow down. He doesn't dive in aggressively. I don't think there's any contact with the man. I think he wins the ball quite cleanly. He doesn't leave the ground. He doesn't show his studs. Um, I can see why it was given because in real time, you can see it it, it might have looked, the referee was slightly blindsided in it, but watching it back, I I don't think he plays the man. I don't think he he goes in dangerously. I don't think he goes in aggressively. I don't think there's any danger to it. I think he wins the ball and doesn't make any contact with the man whatsoever. I think had I don't know who the I can't remember who the challenge was on, uh, but I think if if he hadn't gone Melamed, over quite again, so, I think it was a Melamed, If he hadn't gone over quite so theatrically, I think it would have been not not that he dived to get it, but I think that I think that that made it look an awful lot worse than it actually was. And I I wouldn't want I wouldn't want I don't want to see that go out of the game. <laughs> so have, have St Mirren improved here to to kind of get this result it, it seems that sorry not St Mirren St Johnston have they have they improved for this match to get this result because it seems to me or it feels like to me my perception of St Johnston at some times has been that they've played to the same ability just about every match this season it's just the results have varied within them like they'll always kind of be set up really well they'll have a good shape about them they'll always create some chances it's just it's just hit or miss whether they score some of those chances or not I, th- I thought that was one of their poorer performances. I watched them against. Uh, so I watched them. Uh, I watched this game today, and I watched the Dundee United game through the week. And I thought they played better against Dundee United. And I'm sure a lot of Saints fans would probably come and say they've played better this season and not got the three points. They were. They did deserve the three points. It was. I mean, we're about to talk about two 0 games, but this may as well be a 0 game because it was. It was really, really poor. It was a lot. Not a lot. Not a lot happened, but. St Johnston had the difference. Wotherspoon, for me, sometimes fades out a game too quickly, but he was he was very bright in the first half. You talked about Chris Kane. He reminds him and, him and Scott Robinson, Livy, they're just two pests. They run all day. They are decent. They're decent in the air for their size. They're quite smart at the way they jump or back into defenders. Uh, Melamed and Kane do look like they're striking up a... Uh, have to even partnership. I think Melamed is still getting used to the, the the tempo of the game. Sometimes he just needs to do what he does a wee bit quicker. 
but they were defensively sound. St. Mirren never looked like they were going to, uh, never looked like they were going to break down St. Johnston. They actually probably played a little bit better once they went down to 10 men, but St. Johnston just defended so well that St. Mirren just couldn't get, go into the final third and then they just didn't do anything. They just couldn't stretch, they just didn't or couldn't stretch the game. Uh, in, in behind and it was it, it, everything just it just stopped when it in, <clears throat> when it went into the the St Johnson uh, defensive third. Right, as you kind of mentioned, Joe, we're going to speak about two nil nils now, or we're going to do our best. We'll start with Celtic nil Livingston nil match. That was um, I, I found it quite interesting what Bartley said in sports scene uh, yesterday. How their kind of their game plan was to force them inside and press them from there because uh, they knew that didn't really have a striker around. but he, he didn't say this but this is what I took from it because they didn't really have any kind of central threat in attacking areas that the plan was to kind of force them into central areas rather than out wide where they could hurt them but yeah it looked like a, it just looked like another out of sorts performance from Celtic Duffy was all over the place Laxalt looked really really poor I know that they could have maybe taken the lead with a couple of chances early on Celtic but they Livingston had the better chances of that after. I think it almost it almost played out like like if you didn't know who the players were and you didn't know who the teams were, it, like it almost played out like a a, a well contested Celtic European game where they were under the cost for large parts of it could have snatched a win, but the fact is it's a game against Livingston who you know are, are, as good as they have been. Totally imposed their their style on them. I mean, and and, and Strachan, Gavin Strachan, the undefeated. Sorry, <laughs> Celtic PR machine. The undefeated Gavin Strachan uh, said that admitted that Livy had kind of imposed their style on Celtic, and that's kind of remarkable. I mean, yes, they were missing an awful lot of of players, and you would not, you know, a, a back four of Ralston, Beaton, Duffy, and Laxalt is kind of going to give anyone the fear and starting with Tom Rogic up front it's obviously a, a side that's very much a shadow of what they might be but the way that Livingston kind of imposed their style and caught, like were, they were creating havoc um, and I think it is quite telling that you know obviously Livingston will be happy enough that they, that they got a point but they were they were saying afterwards it's a sign of how their how high their confidence is, how low self confidence is, and how much that they actually got from the game. Where especially in the first sort of ten fifteen minutes, they were absolutely ragdolling them. That they were disappointed they didn't win. Celtic fans didn't seem as happy with Ralston for his crunching challenge this time. That was a uh, straight red. I mean, we, when I when I seen that challenge, I thought uh, thought back to two instances early uh, under Brendan Rodgers. I think it was Ryan Bowman on uh, Kieran Tierney, maybe, and also I think it was uh, was it Jaden Stockley on on Kieran Tierney. Uh, like Celtic fans up in arms about the uh, the roughness of opposition teams, but that's. So Ralston is you hear that you hear that phrase like oh he's not that type of player. Ralston is very much that type of player who does that type of challenge and he just when he when he started I just you just he he kind of just knew this. All of the things that have Celt- has happened at Celtic this season that might be the lowest point is that they've had to they've had to start uh, have to start Ralston because that that back four back. 
that that defence, the most excite, expensive bottom six Premiership defence I've, I've, I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> bottom six standard, just to say, bottom six standard. No, I got what you meant. I got what you meant. Yeah. Have, have we much to say about Livy? I mean, they look like they acquitted themselves really well. They've just carried on their excellent form and performances um, af- off the back of eight wins. And the chances they had, I mean, Robinson, I can understand with the goal scoring form he's in where he takes that, but he's got to he's got to slip in Mullen, Mullen. was it? Yeah. And then the Ambrose header, that's just, that's unforgivable, really. Um, so yeah, even, even though Celtic kind of had their chances either side of Livy's ones, it looked like Livy really had the best ones to win the game. I was, I was so impressed, so impressed once the game with Livingston. I mentioned on last week's podcast, I've not really watched them too much under under Martindale uh, until the last couple of weeks and so, so impressed. You can see Martindale is, f- f- for all his... Um, Probably's past is a very, very good football coach. I think he's a very switched on football coach. He is, I think he's got his um, kind of finger on the pulse because you see him on on the sidelines. He is constantly conjoling and and tinkering and adv- advising. He, I think he's just got a very good football brain, and that's come across in how well Livingston played, how they approached the game, the way they pressed. Is that they? It just, it just seems any time the ball went in, um, ball went into into a Celtic player who had who was facing his own goal that's the moment that they that they press and they, they, they try to win, win the ball back I said it I can't remember I said it before I think it might have been um, on the WhatsApp group it's, it's the fact that Celtic that Livingston probably the team they did not want to face aside from Rangers because that squad of players just knew Livingston were just going to make it so uncomfortable for them. <laughs> now they've caught them again. We don't know exactly who's missing from the Celtic team, and it's on that pitch that they absolutely fucking hate playing on. Bring it on! This I, I, I think Celtic are going to win. I, I think Celtic are going to win this one. To be honest, I think. Uh, I, I just think. Um, I think with the, the semi-final coming up and that kind of thing, I think Livy. I don't think Livy players will be pulling out challenges or anything like that. But I think they'll be like a not wanting to be burnt out or injured going into the, and short of any kind of fitness going into the semi-final. So I, I don't know. I, I, th- I fancy Celtic to 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 win that game. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Shall we move on to the last game and get the fuck out of here? The worst, the worst game of the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was just Hamilton nil, Dundee United nil, but it had that uh, Ryan Fulton save, which was which was pretty damn good. It was a very very good save. Um, United had uh, quite a lot of the ball without doing a huge amount, which has kind of been the story of their season. But Ryan Fulton makes a very very good save from from uh, Ian Harks. Uh, Hamilton seemed to have the be- better of the chances. Uh, I mean, I am I am basing this on the highlights because I, although I watched. Uh, as much as I could of all the other games I am I, I, and I'm at a loose end during lockdown I will like re-grout the bathroom before I Y-scout Hamilton nil Dundee United nil <laughs> from this season um, but no for, I, I think um, it's I I do not enjoy watching Dundee United this season I've said that on the record it's not a it, it's not sour grapes I just don't understand why with with what they do have and they've got more than most and the the points tally that they have on the board where they are pretty much safe they can't show a little bit more ambition I mean I was, I was joking with Prince the other week that the 
one of the reasons Lauren Shanklin scored from the halfway line the other week is because it's the first time anyone's given him the ball facing the goal since <laughs> September um, and I think that was almost the case again like yes they could have won and, and, and Fulton's save is it's a really really good save to get that up and over the bar um, I mean it, yes it is close to him but the reactions to get that up and over the bar and, and um, you know not just to scoop it into his own net was an excellent save but it seemed like it was Hamilton they were doing all the um, all the probing we're doing all the pushing their, their midfield uh, like gives them an awful lot of energy when they push on they, they are there's not a huge amount of quality in that midfield but they, the, the midfield support the, the front line well and they were creating chances they were they did have opportunities and there was an awful lot of last ditch uh, Dundee United's defence has been the one very good thing about them this season where they've been very very solid they looked a bit more panicky um, from what I from what I what I took from this are Dundee United just alright Joel are they just like many of the earlier in the season I wasn't sure whether they were good or not there was a kind of debate whether Dundee United are any good or not but are they just alright is that just the situation that they've come up and they're just alright they're good enough to just, <laughs> yeah. just, just just stay out of any bother but then not bother any of the European positions I think that is, I think you've got it spot on I'm, I was likewise likewise I've really enjoyed watching them at the start of the season just because they had a new manager United were back in the in the premiership and you always think of you always think the two Dundee teams are absolute basket cases but both when they are in the premiership should I've got an expectancy that they should be pushing for the top six or pushing us uh, rather than just trying to avoid relegation. So I was interested to see what Mellon did. I was quite enjoyed watching how well organised they were. Maybe they didn't play centrally in football, but then it just started to get bogged down. And then watching them, watching them recently, yeah, I think I think they are they're decent enough. But big concern is that watching United, just going what Tom says. Shanklin doesn't get any chances in the box. It's uh, obviously the Harks was the one with the one with the header. It's um, it, it it's kind of frustrating because you're you're looking to looking to see Shanklin uh, come up and try and take the, the the Premiership by storm. I mean, for for me, Nisbet was the player who I think has more to offer. But yeah, it's um, like Tom. If I had the choice of the twelve Premiership teams. Dundee United would be down the bottom um, of the ones I would like to watch. Or just, I think Kilmarnock are the only other team I'd rather not watch. What about Ackies? You have Ackies above Dundee United? Yeah, I actually do. I, I do enjoy watching Ackies because they sometimes they can um, sometimes can just be be disastrous and like they were against Kilmarnock just like I think it's sometimes fascinating to watch them how kind of how negative they were against when they got beat by Kilmarnock but at the same time when they uh, I think they've got you know I think they've got a decent uh, premiership spine in that uh, Adam Martin came back into the team I think he's been a very good uh, addition Brian Easton is solid enough and I think they bring out the best in Jamie Hamlin so that back three is decent enough their problem is, is that they play a back five rather than they, they play full backs as wing backs they need wing backs Ross Callahan and Hakeem Dauphin I think do great jobs for them in the, in the centre of the pitch and then I actually quite like David Moyo I think he is a good foil for someone to play alongside it's just that they don't have a lot of quality um, elsewhere that would help, would help elevate that kind of spine to be, a, to be a decent team but I find them an intriguing watch Excellent. I think that's us, guys, unless anybody has any other business. 
No, I'll take that silence as a no. Uh, yeah, so everybody, thanks again for listening. Please check us out wherever you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest and Tumblr and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And don't email us because I don't think anybody's been in the email address for over a year or something. I'll be back later on this week with Chris Oelmo. There'll be another show on Thursday and there'll be plenty of stuff going up on the Patreon. So... Just say bye, guys, and we'll get out of here. Goodbye. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.